All right, three, two, one. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a returning guest, a very special guest. We've done two interviews in the past. Today is February 28th, 2020. Our first interview was done on June 14th, 2019, and we covered the suspicious death of Stuart Lubbock in the pool of Michael Barrymore, a well-known TV presenter in the UK. It took place in the actual finding of Stuart Lubbock's body on uh, the early morning. took place in March 2001, but uh, there's been updates, and we'll talk about them in a sec. And then I did another interview with Anthony Bennett, January 17th, 2020. We talked about Operation Tiberius and police corruption in the UK. But we're going to return to the subject of Michael Barrymore because there was a documentary that just came out in February in the UK on Channel 4. The title of the documentary was Body in the Pool. And uh, I think it's important to kind of revisit this. It's also a case that really piqued my interest because how similar it was to what we call here in the States the Somali Face Killers, where these young men, Stuart uh, Lovick was 31. He didn't really look 31 in my opinion, but, uh, you know, where these young men suspiciously end up in water. So... We can talk about that in more detail. But Anthony Bennett, are you there? Yes, good evening. Good evening. How are you? Uh, great. Yeah, very good. Good. So for people who don't know about your background or haven't listened to the first two interviews we did, maybe you can talk a little bit about your background and how you became interested in the case of Stuart Lubbock and Michael Barrymore. Well, uh, I was... This all began for me in 2006. Um, I had been a solicitor for a number of years and then got a job with the UK Independence Party, which is the uh, party that for years and years slaved away trying to uh, get us out of the European Union. And in the end, our campaign succeeded. Um, the party was led by Nigel Farage, which I think is a name quite well known in America now, since he's a, a pal of um, President Trump. Yes, I would agree anyway, with that, yes. <laughs> anyway, um, w when that work finished, um, very shortly afterwards, um, Terry Lubbock, who lived in Harlow, where I used to live, um, had spotted that um, he's the father, obviously, of Stuart Lubbock, had spotted that Michael Barrymore was making another attempt to revive his career on a program called Celebrity Big Brother. And um, this is... Uh, a British version of reality TV, uh, Big Brother being a place where people go on and um, are filmed for the course of a week and then people drop out and the last man in, as it were, or the last woman in, uh, get some kind of gong. Yeah, they have something um, like that in the States. They have a Big Brother version in the States. Yeah. But this was Celebrity Big Brother. So he was on there um, with uh, some other celebrities, one of whom was George Galloway, an MP in the British Parliament. Those two were the main celebrities. And um, what happened was I, I opened my newspaper, weekly newspaper in Harlow, and um, there was a front page headline about Barrymore coming back on Celebrity Big Brother to promote his career or to relaunch it. And there was another plea from the distraught father saying, uh, you know, I can't, I can't live with this. I can't um, tolerate this man um, reviving his career i i need help i need i need um help in getting uh, uh, this man to account for his crimes and at that point having followed the case in the local paper for years and uh, wanted to help um i wrote to him and of course he i explained i was a former solicitor and uh, be pleased to help him and um we met and um the 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 introduction to the case was this that um i i i i tried to think of a way of um bringing this out into the open and so what i did was i brought a private prosecution or attempted to bring a private prosecution because when terry showed me the papers it revealed a number of offenses criminal offenses um, mainly uh, drugs the use of drugs the possession of drugs the supply of drugs so i attempted to get um, a private prosecution going and although that failed within two or three weeks it attracted a huge amount of publicity and following that, I um, researched the case in depth. And um, to cut a long story short, and obviously we covered this in the previous broadcast, um, 
I realised, of course, that uh, he had been killed uh, through a, a violent rape um, by one or more men. And I also discovered, and I stick to this viewpoint um, to, today, to, to today, um, that uh, although the press and the media and the police all said that the body was found in the pool, I was certain in my own mind that it wasn't, that it never had been in the pool. And um, I may have gone over this last time. I can certainly explain why again to you now. But uh, I was absolutely certain that the body had never been in the pool. And uh, and then, of course, I wrote a book with Terry Lubbock. We wrote a book jointly called Not a White, Getting Away with Murder. And in that book, we um, developed the theory that the whole idea of him being found drowned in the pool was a complete hoax. Right. Sorry to interrupt, but for people who don't know, a white was kind of like uh, Barry Moore's catchphrase. So it's kind of like, all right, but all white, he would say that often. Sorry. Yeah, he would he would he would he would uh, talk to his audience and he would start off by saying, a white or white at the back. All right, are we? And of course, the audience would roll back. Yes, we're all right. So that was why we used the, the title "Not a White." Gotcha. Also, he was when he was trying to revive his career, Michael Barrymore. He was on the Celebrity Big Brother with none other than Dennis Rodman, and who of all people show up but Jimmy Savile? Right? Did you see that part of it? Yeah. Uh, do you know? I, um, was Jimmy Savile on it as well? That's he was incredible. not. He was not actually a member of Celebrity Big Brother, but he was a celebrity guest. So he is yes. hamming yes, it up with uh, Galloway and Barrymore. It's really yes, incredible. Yes. And Dennis You're Rodman. quite right. Yeah. Sorry, just wanted to. You'll, add have that. To, you'll have to remind me about Dennis Rodman. His name rings a bell. He was the basketball player on the Chicago Bulls, so he was kind of like one of the. Uh, superstar rebound members oh, right. of the yeah. uh, teams with Michael Jordan. Yeah, yeah. They're also kind I of a say, semi-celebrity. Yeah, too. This was not by no means the, the first, first attempt to revive his career. I would think there's been probably about seven, eight or, or nine altogether. Um, a few months after the, um, uh, the, the killing of Stuart Lubbock, he attempted to revive his career by a run at the Wyndham Theatre in London. He had his own show which I think was promoted by somebody called Bill Kenworthy. And Bill Kenworthy is the manager of Everton Football Club, one of the, not the manager, but the director, one of the directors of the Everton Football Club, one of the big football clubs over here, and is a um, somebody who arranges shows and puts on shows and uh, plays and this sort of thing, a very big figure in the entertainment world. And um, he's significant in this case because um, for a time he lived, Barrymore lived with um uh, Bill Kenworthy. Um, so that was one attempt, the Wyndham Theatre. And then he went um, on a long TV interview with somebody called Martin Bashir, who is one of our expert interviewers over here uh, in England. And uh, it was a long, um, rather morbid interview in which he was wallowing in self-pity and saying, poor me, and uh, trying to pretend that he... Uh, uh, had seen Stuart in the pool and uh, had run away and got help. And, uh, of course, that was all fiction. And uh, the, the program is mem- uh, memorable f- for me because he, he came out with a line uh, sometime in that program, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. It's obviously rehearsed, but um, that, that kind of illustrates how he was attempting to gain sympathy, I think. I see. Yeah, Martin Bashir is somewhat known here. He's he's uh, done some confrontational interviews here. Like Robert Downey Jr. walked out on him. He asked him a bunch of questions about doing drugs. So he's he's somewhat known here, much like uh, Piers Morgan, who actually had a, used to have a show on CNN who we can talk about in a minute. Mm-hmm. But as far as Barrymore, so, I mean, he's he's still, what's his, what's his kind of... Uh, situation now uh, you know well, actually why don't we talk about dead in the pool and its impact upon uh, public opinion yeah let's talk about the uh, the the documentary but i mean before that i can i can just say that he has never had a successful run uh, in any of his attempts to revive his career um one-off shows um interviews on tv hopefully leading to, to something but it's uh, never got him anywhere and um 
He's occasionally been pictured working in a friend's um, market garden somewhere in Essex, I think. So, um, you know, he's um, he's not got an obvious source of income these days. But um, William, coming to the the body in the pool, um, this was um, a documentary that um, was, has just gone out about an hour and a half long, and um, it told the story uh, really from the um, even before the death of Stuart Lubbock highlighted Barrymore's very successful career. Then it uh, went through the um, various aspects of the uh, the killing of Stuart Lubbock and uh, lots of film of um, media personalities, funnily enough. A lot of uh, media personalities who were involved in the story were, were uh, allowed to have their say. Um, the documentary was around about 18 to 21 months in the making uh, because the, the makers of the film... Um, contacted me early on and asked for uh, information and uh, all the um, witness statements, the pathology reports, the inquest transcript, all of those sorts of things. And I was very pleased to help them. And I thought it would be a breakthrough, this film, um, because I, ex I gave them my book. I explained the theory. I explained how the, the, the various people who had said that um, Stewart had died in the pool had clearly lied because their stories were inconsistent in fact major contradictions between them they couldn't make up their mind um who fa who actually found stewart they couldn't make up their mind um who dived in to um uh, fetch him from the pool they um they couldn't make up their mind whether to um uh, who was uh, whether he was floating at the top of the pool face down or uh, floating at the bottom of the pool face up? There are all these massive contradictions. And uh, I said to the documentary makers, I hope you're going to make a a film which really comes up with the answer and really comes up with the events of that night and how they unfolded. And to that extent, it was a grave disappointment to me. And um, briefly, if I can explain why, um, these reasons, I think, first of all, the title of the film was the documentary was Barrymore Body in the Pool, which immediately, to my mind, perpetuated the myth that he was ever found in the pool. So I was very disappointed with that. If any of your people over there see this um, documentary, and of course it's available on the Internet, another um, major feature of it, a huge amount of footage of the pool itself. One of the reasons for that is that the police obviously released to the documentary makers their original film of the scene of the crime, which was um, taken uh, earlier in the morning um, after uh, Stuart Lubbock had died. And so there was much footage of the, the pool throughout. And it was, to my mind, it was very likely subliminal. The title of the film, Body in the Pool, and all these images of the pool um, would fix in most people's minds that um, he really was in the pool. Right. The, document, the documentary makers made no mention whatsoever of the book that we'd written. Uh, they made no mention whatsoever of the, even the theory that he might not have been in the pool at all. And on top of that, and this is one of the, the, the good things about the interview we, we did a, a year or so ago, um, we did cover quite well the actual events of that night. I think I talked to you through the events from Barrymore meeting with Stuart Lubbock, um, the way the various party guests came to the home, uh, the events of that night, uh, the um, Stuart Lubbock and Jonathan Kenny and Justin Merritt getting into the jacuzzi, which was, I think, a critical moment in the evening. Kylie Merritt um, plying them all with um, drink and drugs and what have you. And then the inexplicable period of hour and three quarters, if you like, the missing hour and three quarters before the alarm was raised at um, quarter to six in the evening. Now, you would think that a documentary furnished with, I mean, I gave them the witness statements. They've had a copy of my book. You would think that they would take people through all the events of that night if they were going to do a documentary on that night. But there was nothing, only just tangential references. There was no, no story there. No specifics, and, uh, right? No specifics yeah. about the time and date. 
Very few specifics, yes. So to give you an example, one of the crucial pieces of evidence in the whole case was, um, was that swimming pool cover, the main swimming pool, ever opened before Stuart Lumbock died? Now, just to to create the scene here, outside Barrymore had two, he had a jacuzzi on the terrace, a hot water jacuzzi, which was in operation that night. Uh, hot water available, uh, all at the ready. Um, and just beyond that was a, a medium-sized swimming pool, which I think I told you before uh, was had never been used that winter. In fact, I'm not sure if it had ever been used at all. It was fairly new, but certainly it had never been used that winter. And again, taking your your listeners to the to the scene, we're talking about. Um, events at four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning on March the 31st, the 1st of April. The outside temperature uh, we know from meteorological records was no more than five degrees centigrade or 41 Fahrenheit. So the idea that anybody in their right mind would actually want to go diving into that pool um, uh, on such a cold morning is is fairly ludicrous. But the Barrymore and his... Um, helpers um i believe concocted the story that they had pulled back the pool cover early in the evening and uh, heated it up um during that evening it was an extremely unlikely story but again this documentary didn't touch on that at all such a crucial thing but they never mentioned it interesting yeah it is available online but they seem to focus on his celebrity you know really his background and that did you find that to be off-putting uh, I, I would I found it to be irrelevant basically you know I wanted them to get to the story to the meat and bones I didn't want to hear um, news of the world staff give their take on the on the events and uh, the other journalists uh, it, it just seemed to me that that was uh, to occupy 90 minutes of a documentary and, and really was telling things that, that people already know really um, I did take exception to, let me just briefly tell you about one of the people who appeared in that documentary was somebody called Antonella Lazzeri, who is a leading journalist for the Sun newspaper. Um, I'll tell you why I feel aggrieved at her appearing in the in the film, because um, no sooner had there been the original publicity on the case after um, we tried on the, the private prosecution, I got a call from Antonella that's area at the Sun newspaper, which was then the best-selling newspaper in the country and uh, was until recently. And she said, look, Mr. Bennett, um, we're very interested in what you've got to say. And uh, I understand you've got all these uh, witness statements and um, um, pathology reports. Can we see them? We'd like to, to, to help uh, Terry. And I was a bit more naive then than, I've, than I am now. And uh, I said, of course, you know, um, you're, you're very welcome. I'll just need to copy them and then you can have them. So they took them away, leaving me with the impression that uh, they were going to um, help Terry Lubbock by exposing uh, what really went on that night. And it's all there, of course, in the witness statements and the pathology reports. It's all really very plain when you look at it. What then happened was that um, all of a sudden Terry Lubbock disappeared without trace for a few days, didn't know where he was. And um, I then, um, on the Monday morning following, there was a five-page um, story, a front page in the next five or six pages in the Sun, saying um, expert reports put Barrymore in the clear. And what they'd done is um, they had really manufactured a story that uh, there was um, no evidence that um, Stewart had suffered any injury uh, in the pool, but in fact, he must have been injured in the hospital by a hospital thermometer. And uh, there was several pages of commentary on the um, witness statements and the um, pathology reports, which completely reversed the truth, uh, totally reversed the truth. It was the whole story was designed to help Michael Barrymore. In addition to that, I discovered that the um, team from The Sun had put Terry up in a swanky hotel in London for four days, um, 
with minders. He wasn't allowed to have any contact with me or anybody else. And um, they, um, as part of the deal, um, he was to meet with Michael Barrymore. And on the front page of the Sun that um, on that particular Monday was Terry Lubbock standing side by side with Michael Barrymore, with uh, a caption underneath from Terry saying, "I forgive you." Now, um, can you imagine how I felt having begun to expose this um, uh, this murder and the cover up? five or six pages in Britain's leading newspaper with Terry on the front page, forgiving Michael Barrymore and a completely story, I mean, a load of crock, really, um, claiming that Michael Barrymore um, had nothing to do with the events of that night and that um, Stuart must have been injured by a hospital thermometer. Yeah, it's remarkable. When did that story come out? When did that story... Um, Back in January 2006. I mean, the events moved very quickly. We had a court hearing... Um, then there was uh, a summons issued on Michael Barrymore, and um, immediately after that, all, all these events I'm talking about happened within two or three weeks. Um, the Sun was very anxious, obviously, to get in on the act straight away, and they they used the information I'd given them uh, to completely distort the whole story. And really, ever since, that the media as a whole have been like this, with the single exception of the News of the World, which is, was another popular newspaper, which the associate editor there um, looked at my material, and he, he, knew, he knew Barrymore very well, by the way. He, uh, he often talked to Michael Barrymore, but he knew that instinctively that the, um, my analysis was correct, and he did actually serialise my book in the News of the World for two weeks, which was great. Well, that's remarkable. And then, um, I mean, do you, why do you think that so many of these media entities are, are willing to distort or twist, you know, what, what the real reality, even, even up to kind of body in the pool, the fact that they didn't, you know, that they ignored certain, certain specifics about that night. Why do you think that's taking place? I think because there is something akin to a club. Uh, into which celebrities um, belong, and um, they, generally speaking, there are they they look after themselves. There's a kind of unwritten understanding that they will support each other, even when they they're in a downtime or having bad luck. They will support each other. And besides that, uh, most of these celebrities have got money. They've got lawyers. They've got public relations officers working for them. And uh, they've got money and they've also got, um, I believe, and this is relevant, I think, to this case, uh, William and others that I've studied. I believe they have corrupt police officers on the inside. And I would say to you that this hoax, the drowning hoax, um, could only have been sustained by the police deliberately allowing evidence to be lost and deliberately not um, dealing with the obvious fact of the case, which that they had all lied completely. But I believe there was corruption in this case. Right. So, I mean, if all of the people who were there that night are telling contradictory stories that don't fit together, why aren't the police able to, you know, break, you know, get one of them and try to break them down and try to get the truth of things, you know, like a standard police investigation. And then um, did, did Barrymore have all of those things? Did he have PR people, lawyers, intimidating people or trying people trying to get the story out? Uh, without a doubt. Yes. Without a doubt. He had, um, he, uh, like I said, he talked to um, newspaper editors regularly. I mean, the, these celebrities depend on um, publicity. So he and his, PR men would talk to uh, to the press regularly and, uh, and try and get their uh, celebrities talked about. Um, just going back to the um, the events of that uh, evening, um, you know, that morning, um, the the police took the statements from the six key witnesses um, over over a period of two or three days. Um, one of the stories was so ridiculous that. Uh, the, the the young man had, I think it was James Futters, um, he had to change his story completely. 
and even then it contradicted um, what the other said about where where he was found, how he was found, who found him, all that kind of thing. Um, and one of the things that was featured in, in my book, mentioned in my book, but not covered in this program, The Body in the Pool, was that Michael Barrymore's manager arrived on the scene well before the police were called. Um, that's in the witness statement. Some of the, the, the two girl witnesses um, saw um, Mike Brown, Michael Barrymore's manager, um, disposing of items, um, throwing drugs down the toilet, and that, that kind of thing, before the police were called. Um, so Michael Barrymore's manager lived very close by, and he lived, by the way, just opposite the what we call the major crimes unit in Essex. Um, he lived right across the road from the uh, police, and I think it's fairly certain that Barrymore had connections with Essex police. Interesting. So what's the, what do you think the impact and the fallout is of this documentary body in the pool? Well, uh, one, of the, one of the main uh, results of the, the program is that Essex police were rather dragged into doing something, if, if you follow me. Um, the, the, the police have done nothing since 2007 when they, uh, following the dossier I produced in the book, they arrested Michael Barrymore, Jonathan Kenny and Justin Merritt on suspicion of murder. This was in June 2007, so going back 13 years. Um, that didn't get anywhere. There was insufficient evidence to to proceed against any three of them, and the police have been silent uh, since um, ever since. They've not done nothing. I think what's happened here is these documentary makers have got some uh, form. They're 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 um, well respected documentary makers with a track record, and um, they obviously must have talked to police and um, worked with the police uh, on this documentary, and. The way the police reacted, um, William, was to uh, come up with a reward um, which began at £20,000 and um, is now standing at £40,000. Um, Essex police themselves have put up £20,000 for this and um, a, a, an organisation called Crime Stoppers, which is a voluntary organisation here which supports the police, they've put up another £20,000. So £40,000 is on offer for anybody who can give information leading to the conviction of anybody for the murder of Stuart Lubbock. Now, that would seem on the face of it like progress. Um, and, and that is one of the tangible outcomes of the programme. But um, I can't remember how much of this we went over before, but clearly um, I would say that six people were involved in the cover-up. And... Uh, know exactly what happened to Stewart and um, would would die before they would um, give any evidence of, about that. And they are, of course, Michael Barrymore, his lover Michael, um, Jonathan Kelly, Justin Merritt and the sister Kylie Merritt, and the two other gays from the village, James Futterson, Simon Shaw. Those six are not going to talk. The only other two who might talk, the other two witnesses are the young girls aged about 20, but we know from um, information disclosed by Essex Police in a recent court case that uh, two witnesses were paid off substantial sums of money. Um, this information was given by two informers to Essex Police. So it could be the two girls. So they and their families are unlikely to talk as well. Was, the only the, was that of, sum of money disclosed? Do they know how much no, they paid? No, it wasn't. It, it was no, it wasn't. It was uh, described as a large sum of money. I actually, I have an idea that a, a figure was disclosed in the court proceedings, and I can't remember it. And um, rather than mention it, I just simply say that it was a, obviously a large sum of money. Uh, I have an idea of figure. I, I, I don't want to mention it in case somebody. Thinks I'm exaggerating, but it was um, said to be a large sum of money. I see. And um, so, the, the 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 police's great um, pitch really is that somebody might have one of these eight people might have talked to somebody else about what what happened, and um, might now be willing to talk with the prospect of a forty thousand pound reward. I can't see it myself actually. I can't really see this happening uh, because. Anybody who there wasn't there on the on the night can't possibly know what happened. And 
even if they were told um, how good, how valuable would their evidence be um, in, in, in a court case? It would be hearsay evidence. And in any case, um, if even if the um, somebody says, I was told that it was Michael Barrymore that raped um, Stuart Lubbock, or I was told that it was Jonathan Kenny, the police still have to prove that, don't they? They can't really prove it on the basis of what somebody's been told. So I, I think this is I think this is the police being forced to do something. I would say it's not a genuine effort to solve the case. And going back to the point you made, um, a very good point about the uh, initial inquiries by the police. Um, if the police are faced with a bunch of liars, as there was in this case, giving completely contradictory stories about how a body was allegedly found, um, there is an offence we have in this country called perverting the course of justice um, which may, or interfering with the course of justice. Now, without a doubt, any of these people could have been prosecuted and they could have been charged with that offence and that might well have brought out the truth because probably not all of those six were directly involved in the rape. Um, but they were. The, the police didn't do that. Uh, they made other serious errors at the time. They, they didn't... Um, uh, check the um, the scene properly. They left the scene in the charge of Michael Barrymore's manager. So all those opportunities were lost. I, at the moment, I don't feel any more optimistic than I did before the program that this case will be solved. Do you feel like it moved public opinion? Yes, I think it. I think I think it did. Although I'd have to say, William, in terms of moving public opinion, um, the first thing I would say is that it was. Um, uh, there was a Twitter storm for about three days in this country. There was um, the there were three hashtags tre trending for three days. One was Stuart Lubbock, another one was Mr Barrymore, and another was Barrymore. So there was three um, hashtags trending on Twitter for um, three days. Um, huge amount of comment. Uh, so big public reaction. And looking through those, the vast majority of uh, comments were. Um, uh, negative towards Barrymore. Um, unfortunately, from my point of view, rather too many people were saying, you know, there was still the body in the pool. They still thought um, there was a body in the pool and that he'd, he'd been thrown in. Um, but um, really, the, the one of the one of the best spin-offs from my point of view, and I'd like to thank you for this, is that um, a, a a documentary has been made by somebody on on the basis of the interview we did um, last time when we gave all those details. Somebody um, whose name I don't know has put this up, and um, it's uh, it's had something like forty thousand views in the last um, seven or eight days, and um, I'm delighted with that because if you look at the comments, there's something like eight hundred comments on there already. They're all saying that this. This little documentary, based on our interview a year ago, it um, gives people far, far more information than in that 90 documentary that probably cost a million pounds to produce. So I'm very happy with that, and I'd like to thank you for, for all that interview, because through that interview, this has been brought to light um, by uh, for a British audience. My pleasure. My pleasure. I'm glad that it's out there. Glad the information's out there. And it's also kind of a warning, too, because... Stuart Lubbock was, according, you know, according to the information, he was formerly married and somehow got caught up in the wrong, um, got starstruck, it seems like, and got caught up with the wrong group of people. And it cost him his life. It's really a tragedy. It's his story. One of the, um, one of the commenters on this, um, doc this recent documentary that's been produced, really uh, covering our previous interview, was... He came on to say that there was had been a couple of serious incidents very similar to this, which the police had covered up in the past. Wow. I haven't made I haven't made contact with him yet. Um, I, I mean, I can only do so through the um, through the comments. Um, but uh, he 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 did say that some broadly similar incidents has happened, which the public know nothing about. So I'd love to know more. I, don't, I think he, he came up twice to say this. So. Um, well, in Dead in the Pool, didn't they talk about Barrymore kind of living a scandalous life after he came out as being homosexual? I mean, I thought that he was in the tabloids there in the UK, if I remember correctly, up until 2001 March, March of 2001. Mm -hmm. 
we, we know he was um, uh, this. There was a number of occasions when he was um, um, visited by police because he there were reports of activities in hotels, not at his home, but drugs being taken. And we know that on a, on at least a couple of occasions, three or four, I think. Um, he was visited by police, and on, on one occasion, he was given a caution. And I think he was—I think he was given a caution in this case as well, actually, for for uh, possession of drugs. Right, and there was drugs um, on the scene, wasn't there? Cocaine on the night of the death of Stuart Lover. Um, there was. There one was of the girls there. said that there was a, a white powder being snorted on the kitchen table. So I, I mentioned to the judge in the in in the private prosecution. He, he said that's that's no evidence at all. He said I need proof of what that white substance was. He said it might have been sugar. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be the first time I've ever heard of anybody at a party snorting sugar. But, hey, well, there you go. There you go. I, I mean, <clears throat> judges quite they need proper evidence. Of course, they do. Yeah, um, but um, in terms of. I mean, I did write write a fair amount about this in the book. I mean, there was um, he, he, well, he, first of all, we know that he was um, he was regularly hunting for um, rent boys in London. Uh, he would call up his chauffeur, drive to a particular um, part of London called Charing Cross, and that would be a regular haunt for rent boys. And he'd pick them up and take them home. And um, he was clearly involved in. Um, regular meetings with uh, homosexuals um, and he and his friend Jonathan Kenny had a particularly riotous relationship with um, what can I say love making in the open air or I mean it, he, he was really quite quite depraved in, in his activities yes but um, probably didn't cross the line into into um, committing crimes apart from the drugs as it were I suppose the boys would be of um, the age of consent, 18. I see. Possibly. Just, I think uh, the, how yeah. can people find your book? Because on Amazon, both in the UK and in the US, US, your book is priced at $507. And in the UK, it's a hundred pounds. So. I did. I not explain that last time. I think you did, uh, but I'd just like you to repeat yeah. that just as because you mentioned I, it. Well, um, I, I, I'll just need, just give me a minute or so to explain the when we um, formed the Lubbock Trust, uh, we uh, I got together with Stuart Lubbock and I, and I called in somebody I knew vaguely called Harry Sishi, and um, we agreed to uh, publish this book, which I wrote, not a white, and um, we formed this um, trust called the Lubbock Trust and agreed that we would um, uh, any income from the book or from the serialization of the book or, or any other such income would be shared equally between the three of us. As the book was published, um, Harry Sishi and um, uh, Terry Lubbock came to me and said, um, uh, well, you know, we want to sell this book ourselves. And the reason for doing that was because Harry Sishi had, had, um, uh, had provided the ISBN, the International Standard Book Number. And so technically it was the publisher. Uh, uh, I arranged absolutely everything to do with this book, wrote it, uh, liaised with the publisher, sent off the PDFs, the whole thing, only to discover at the last minute that Harry Sishi was um, uh, determined to sell this book himself. And if it is at that price on Amazon, um, it's Harry Sishi who's put that, those prices up. I can't I believe that he's... I mean, I... I I was I was stunned that somebody could take advantage of that in in that way so many years ago. And I I wrote to Amazon. Uh, they said they wanted legal letters. I wrote to Harry Sishi, but there was uh, I just I just gave up. I thought, well, I've done my best here. Uh, if if people want to cash in and take advantage like that, I'm not going to um, I'm not going to spend money on lawyers dealing with it. So I'm very sorry indeed. Very sorry to to hear that. Those prices are being charged. I have a few copies left. I was allowed by Harry Sishi to keep a few copies. I still have them left, and a few are available at my email address, and I'm happy to send them out. Gotcha. But that, but that's the story. That's the story. It's painful to re, re, recall it, I'm afraid. It's, it's a, 
a sad a sad day it was because we should have been cooperating together the three of us and um um he's i dare say he's given me a bad name for some people would um assume that i was profiteering from it but absolutely not he has the sale of that book has nothing to do with me and everything to do with harry sishi interesting did you you know barrymore put out a book back in business in 1995 do you know of that book Back in business. It? Yeah, back in business. Uh, now, I'll tell you what, that 1995 rings a bell because that was the day he came out as gay. Well, the reason I ask that is because, you know, I've had the misfortune of doing a lot of studies into the occult. But Barry Moore is making the, like an occult hand gesture, making the sign of silence on the cover of that book. Do you recollect that? Yes, on the back of the book. Yeah. What my book? No, yes. on his his book, on the cover of oh, Michael Barrymore's book in 1995, he's making a hand gesture like Crowley, Alistair Crowley would make. Have you come across or sensed any kind of occultism in Barrymore or any of his associates? I would say I would say no, and I'm I'm by no means unfamiliar with the occult, and. Um, I, I I take an interest in it because I'm a Christian and I see the occult world, world as um, anti-Christian and um, a, a very dark world out there. And uh, I'm a, uh, and I'm aware of um, these signs that people use the um, the six 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 sign and then there's the the two fingered horned um, salute with the, the second and fifth fingers. I, I see these signs everywhere and, I, and also of course. Um, even ceremonies like the Olympics, for example, are full of occult symbols. Um, yes. the, um, so it's a, it's a world I know about. but And, and so I, I'm attuned to this. But I, I would have to say that nothing tangibly occult, uh, occult symbols or signs uh, have ever, ever emerged. The only thing I would say is that um, the, the, the man who serialized my book, Phil Taylor, in the News of the World, wrote a book about uh, Michael Barrymore um, shortly before, I think it was, that... Uh, yeah, Barrymore, A Man Possessed, right? Yes, Barrymore, A Man Possessed. Published now, February 2002. But... Yeah, that was three years... Was it published? Oh, well, was it? that's what's, that's a publication date. It doesn't mean the exact date it was really published. It could have been republished. Amazon doesn't keep original right. dates if they upgrade something. Right, right. I would say, I would say possibly there that... Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Phil Taylor knew knew Barrymore very well and was was would help him with stories, but would also publish stories against him if he could, you know, to sell to sell papers. And uh, I suspect that he he used that title because he 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 saw something in Barrymore akin to possession, spirit possession, possibly. They, he he would have chosen that title deliberately, I think. And I have read the book. I, I passed it to somebody else. I have read the book, and as far as I can recall, William, I don't think he deals with anything specifically occult, but simply describes a man who was out of control, heavy drinker, drug user, um, you know, uh, addicted to gay sex, that kind of thing. But nothing, nothing tangibly occult. On the subject of Barrymore's friends, Kenny and Merritt. Has anybody done a thorough investigation of those two and their lifestyle? And I mean, one of them was a drag queen as well. Is that correct? Is that right? Like yes. Now, thought... now, Barrymore's Barrymore's uh, lover that night was somebody called Jonathan Kenny, and um, he we know he ha- he has some kind of um, uh, background. Um, uh, certainly, as a drag queen, yes, he was uh, uh, active as a drag queen in the north of England for some time. Um, he he has a reputation for violence, and I think he he may have been arrested, charged, and even prosecuted for at least one assault. Um, also, quite interesting, and in the that very evening um, before um, Stuart Love was was murdered, and I cover this in the in the back of my book. Um, there was a strange um, flow of, co- of phone calls between Jonathan Kenny and Michael Barrymore um, in the lead up to, to that evening, in which Jonathan Kenny was um, negotiating. To <laughs> now, what, what happened was that M- Michael Barrymore had been pestering him with phone calls all afternoon, and Jonathan Kenny came um, 
was came came back um, to say, well, you know, let's go out for a meal this evening. Along the way, Barrymore said to him, we need to have um, we need to have a you to sign a um, one of these um, confidentiality agreements. An NDA, non-disclosure. Yeah, non-disclosure agreement. That's right. And um, so Kenny said, well, we we don't. Uh, I'm not signing a non-disclosure agreement. And um, uh, Mike, uh, Mike Brown, the Michael Barrymore's manager, came on, phoned him up and said, all of Barrymore's contacts sign a non-disclosure agreement. In other words, anybody that Barrymore goes out with has to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Now, if you think of how many people Barrymore um, may have gone out with between 1995 coming out gay and 2002. It must have been quite a few. So there's probably quite a few non-disclosure agreements. Yeah. Quite a few, not quite a few non-disclosure agreements lying around. But uh, it would appear it would appear that there was some tension in the air because um, Barrymore later said that um, Kenny had become highly controlling, and um, there was tension. I think that evening um, between the two men. Um, and of course, it it poured out later that evening when Barrymore went off with Stuart Lubbock and left um, Jonathan Kenny in the lurch. And um, Jonathan Kenny arrived at the house about an hour after Barrymore in a in a furious temper. And you can't help feeling that that may have played a part in the uh, evening's events. Um, going back to the two merits, um, what we do know here is that. Um, Justin Merritt was um, a local man in Harlow. Um, Barrymore lived in the next village to Harlow. Um, I can say, I think, that um, Justin Merritt was known locally as a drug dealer. And it has been suggested that he was um, Michael Barrymore's supplier. Now, his sister, Kylie, played, I think, a very significant role that evening. I can't remember if we covered this before, but... um, Sometime after all the um, nine people had arrived at the party, um, either Jonathan Kelly or Michael Barrymore suggested people might like to go out to the jacuzzi. And we know because the girls confirm it, and so I'm sure this is true, that um, uh, uh, Stuart Lovett went out to the pool. Um, They all went stripped of their shorts, just in merit and... Jonathan and Kenny all in the pool together at about four o'clock in the morning. And um, also, um, one, of the, one of the girls thought she would go to the jacuzzi and then decided against it. But um, Kylie Merritt was um, hovering around them all the time, bringing them drinks. And I suspect that um, Justin and Kylie Merritt was a double act. And what do you um, mean by double act? Uh, a kind of honey trap, if you like. Um, I think it was possibly um, Kylie Merritt who um, was responsible for getting Stuart Lubbock to come to Barrymore's house that night. There was, oh, there's a, a, there was a report that she'd been seen whispering into Stuart Lubbock's ear as if to say, look, go, go and get ready. We're going to go now to the party, something like that. Um, so you know, the, the coincidence of uh, a, lo- a local drug dealer and somebody who is then uh, at the party facilitating um, Stuart getting into a, a position where perhaps he might be preyed upon by um, wow, a gay That's predator. remarkable. That's so remarkable because, you know, I just put out my second film on this smiley face killer phenomenon. I put it out yesterday. And there's stories mm-hmm. like that within these phenomenon where, um, for example, the family in Adelaide was back in the 80s. They would lure men in by using the lure of women there would be like either transvestites mm-hmm. acting like women or the promise of women mm-hmm. and there's other cases there where they think the person was last seen with a woman where and that kind mm-hmm. of yeah. gets these men who are maybe not in that particular uh you know gr- group interested you know to kind of let mm-hmm. down their guard or follow along that's fascinating so that that element is seems to be there in the Barrymore case that's remarkable well i think uh, I- isn't this a isn't this a probable scenario? Yes. Barrymore goes Barrymore goes there. He's looking for somebody to um, 
to get together with. It, it would appear that from the the background I've given you that he and his he and his lover are not on great terms that evening. They've already been squabbling about non-disclosure agreements and things like that. Um, so we've got Barrymore who really isn't happy with his lover anymore. He, well, he wants somebody else that night. Um, he's been drinking uh, and he sees Stuart Lubbock and Stuart Lubbock, you have to say, is a handsome young man. Uh, young. Barrymore takes a fancy to him and, and says to Kylie, look, you know, go and chat to him. Can't, can't prove it, but this is would appear to be what happened. So he's lured in you know, Barrymore doesn't say, look, you know, come to my party. Um, it's Kylie Moe in the end who arranges it. Right. And of course, uh, she is um, the uh, sister of somebody who is a known drug addict in the area and who is more than likely a, a supplier. Have you ever heard anything in the Barrymore case that Barrymore was interested in heterosexual men? No. It doesn't come up. Okay. Or or anybody else, Kenny or Merritt, any of his kind of. Uh, well, I, I am I am recalling now. Actually, one of the things I am recalling is that he would. Uh, yeah, I do remember this. He would phone up a gay chat lines and and ask for somebody to come round. Interesting. Uh, there is some kind of gay contact line. He would he would ring up and say, uh, I don't know whether he would give his name, but he would say, look, you know, I. I need somebody. I think also he might have used those. It's, it's coming back to me from the, the book Barrymore, A Man Possessed, that he would ring up and also he would um, just engage in, in talking dirty on the um, on these chat lines if he could do nothing else, you know. I so, I mean, the, the, man was, the man was addicted to gay sex and uh, Stuart was the victim that yeah, night. Yeah, he was like a high, very high-risk individual leading up to 2001. Drugs, yep. random, you know, uh, cruising or whatever you would call it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Def- already, already so. had been in in squabbles with the cops. Already been warned. Mm-hmm. Um, There's one incident I mentioned in the book where he, um, I think he'd been he'd been performing somewhere and he got um, talking to a, a woman and her son and um, uh, the woman the woman rather foolishly invited him and back to his home and uh, I think sometime early in the morning the uh, Barrymore made an approach to the 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 young boy and uh, uh, it, this was found out before uh, anything happened I think but um, it's kind of illustration of, of, of his lifestyle you know he just um, need, needing needing to fulfill himself with gay sex almost every night well, Anthony, we are at 50 minutes. Uh, we've covered a lot of territory. Is there anything you would like to follow up with? Anything I missed? Any anything you'd like to add? I think I think I would like yes. I think I would like to uh, just dwell slightly on the on the attempt by Piers Morgan to revive Barrymore's okay, um, career again. Now, this is in two parts, really. First of all, um, Piers Morgan does a, um, a, a series on British TV called Life Story. And some months ago, um, Barrymore appeared on Life Story and there was a long interview during which um, Barrymore was very lightly challenged by Piers Morgan, very light, and uh, was anxious to portray Barrymore in as helpful a light as possible. And then in the lead up to this documentary, The Body in the Pool, there was um, uh, an interview by Piers Morgan with Barrymore um in front of a studio audience and um this is fascinating if you get a chance to view it it's definitely up there on the internet and um barrymore i mean he lies his way through what what happened that night but um uh piers morgan is very deferential to um barrymore in this interview um at one point um Piers Morgan covers the subject of whether he gave drugs to Stuart Lubbock that night. And Barrymore is seen to get very agitated. And then um, Piers Morgan says, well, you were asked about that at the inquest. And Barrymore gets very agitated again. And he says, well, he said, he says, no, I didn't. He said, and in any case, um, my barrister told me that um, at an inquest, I wasn't allowed to, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't compelled to, 
answer questions about whether I've done anything illegal or not. So he then says, well, um, I just uh, I just told the court that I didn't give him drugs. Now, he becomes very angry at that point, And Piers Morgan is then seen to, to back off as if to say, look, I'm sorry I've upset you. Now, I didn't mean to mean to upset you, but I've got to cover this difficult territory. But if you look at the, the whole interview, it is um, absolutely laden with soft soaping Barrymore. And at one point he says to, Bar- to Barrymore, what do you think happened to Stuart? And uh, Barrymore says, well, he drowned. Wow. And those yeah. are, it's kind of a long form interview. Is that correct? It's kind of like he sits yes. down for like an hour or something. Yes. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yes. And, um, and, and um, Barrymore just um, uh, struggles to, um, to, uh, to tell the truth and to stay calm. And um, in the end, um, he, 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 he almost shouts at Piers Morgan and says, look, I'm not just 99.9% innocent. I am 100% innocent. There is a pause and then the audience applauds you know, applauds this courageous man for boasting that he's 100% innocent. So it's Piers Morgan um, is a man of some substance here. He is uh, a prominent TV presenter. But on this occasion, he must know, absolutely must know that Stuart Lovett was raped to death. And yet he was prepared to virtually allow Barrymore to get away with pretending that Stuart drowned and that um, he, he really didn't know what happened to him. It was really quite disgraceful. And actually, if you look at the Twitter hashtag, um, Piers Morgan was ripped to bits by the British public for that interview. Fascinating. Interesting. Yeah, well, we like we talked about in the pre-interview today, you know, I, I already have kind of, well, I've watched Piers in, uh, Morgan in, in action here with the West Memphis Three where he just bungles the entire interview. It's a total softball interview. And really, an embarrassment. Mm. I actually have it on my, yeah. my. I have an analysis of it on my William Ramsey Investigates channel. If you want to check it out, but uh, if he if he covered for Barrymore, it wouldn't be the first time he'd covered for somebody involved in in death, you know, in murder or something like that, mm-hmm. accidental That's or what, otherwise. I mean, yeah, but but I mean, tell me this: how how many how many how many how many bad people has Oprah Winfrey done soft soap interviews with? She has. You should see her friends. They're terrible. She was friends with yeah. uh, Harvey Weinstein. He went to jail for yeah. rape, just got convicted. Some of her yeah. friends are involved in all kinds of scurrilous stuff. It's off the charts. She was friends with that Yahoo of God guy who was literally raping women and selling babies and stuff. Just abominations mm-hmm. out of Brazil. So she never, <laughs> yeah, she never apologizes. She's still a hero. Uh, supposedly for women, but she likes people who are engaged in all kinds of vicious rapes why, and stuff. Yeah. Why do Why do millions of Americans watch her then? I don't know. It's a mystery to me. Mm-hmm. I, I think that uh, I think they're not even they're willing to look the other way about people's uh, hypocrisies and contradictions. Really, I mean, I, I don't not, know. I don't know how a woman could look at this person who's friends with people yeah. abusing women can get up and mm. say that she's an avatar for women's rights and women's liberty and feminism mm. or whatever she is. So. One of the most notorious um, soft soap interviews she ever did was with the parents of Madeleine McCann. Did you ever see that one? No, no, no but I, I mean, can imagine. Oh, man. I mean, you know, the, the idea that Madeleine McCann was abducted, um, very few of us believe that here. We, we know that something else happened, but um, Oprah Winfrey helped them to, to dodge all the difficult questions. And, um, and of course, they just were able to get away unchallenged with all kinds of questions that should have been asked of them. Yeah, I don't know how they get away with it. I know on smaller interviews, I've heard of stories where payment, payments are made. Payments are right. made to the interviewer to do the interview and have us, have us off that the public never sees. You know? So I've heard of allegations I'm, of that happening. I'm sure that's the case. I, I know that Oprah Winfrey is boasted of saying she never gets paid, but uh, you, you can always um, you can uh, always charge for expenses and this kind of thing, can't yeah, you? Yeah, um, an NDA. You know, if you have a binding NDA that has damages, yeah. you know, you, yeah, you, sure, that should sure. be arranged. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it happens all the time. I know of one instance on a very famous podcast where that was alleged, and it makes perfect sense because the person on there was. 
you know, it was more of like an advertisement for their position than a real interview. So, you know, that's not outside of the, the realm of possibility. But yeah, Piers Morgan, yeah, he didn't make it here. He tried to get on CNN. He had confrontations with people and uh, didn't really didn't really strike it rich with the American public. So I guess he just mm-hmm. went back to the UK. Mm-hmm. Anyway, anything else you'd like to add, Anthony? No, no, thank you for, for, for covering it. I, I, uh, I, I can't see this case being solved. Uh, Barrymore's got away with it. The others have got away with it. It would be a miracle if anybody comes forward. I'm just grateful, again, I would like to say to you and, and the people who've put up this documentary based on my interview with you, that that at least has made me feel a little bit more uh, that the story has got out. Because actually, I can't think of anywhere that it has. The, the, the material I discussed with you hadn't really been aired at all. So it's getting some coverage, and I'm happy about that. Yeah, and it's a shame that book isn't out there for people to reference, because those first-person legal accounts and the compilation of all that material really allows people to see these cases with clarity and not through the lens of biased TV presenters or corporate media or people with an alternate agenda. And so... Sorry, I've got about I've got about twenty copies left, and um, if anybody checks on my Twitter account, um, Anthony Bennett, then um, my email address is on there. So, um, right. so your Twitter uh, is Anthony Bennett, correct? At Anthony yes. Bennett. Uh, well, it's Anthony Bennett at Zampos. Z A M P O S. Gotcha. Okay. Z A Z A M P O S. All right. So, oh, anything else you'd like to add, Anthony, before we wrap it no. up? No. Okay, great. Again, it's Anthony Bennett. This is our third interview with Anthony, the first one about the details of the suspicious death of Stuart Lubbock is from June 14th, 2019, which you can see on my podcast or my YouTube channel or anywhere at Opperman. It could just go out all over the internet. You can just type it into Google. You guys can check that out. But again, this was a follow-up to that original interview discussing with Anthony Bennett the documentary Body in the Pool, which can be found online, and also the newer documentary that Anthony was mentioning. Uh, I think you can see it. You can find a reference to it on your Twitter feed, correct? Yeah. Yeah, okay, great. All right, Anthony, thank you so much for the interview. Okay, no, thank you.